Let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm 37 to this morning. Psalm 37. Thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach here in chapel this morning. And uh, before I do that, definitely need to... Um, I have an unusual opportunity today. I get to preach on my baby sister's birthday. So, happy birthday to Lisa. It's exciting for me to have her here. And when I came to college, she was three years old. That says nothing about how old I am. I was, I was 10, so... No, but certainly grateful uh, that uh, the Lord's led her to be here for these years in school. And um, I want to encourage you all, this is, has nothing to do with the message, but realize you, your life makes an impact on your siblings. And um, that was something I was cognizant of, and I look back now and feel like I could have done a whole lot of things a whole lot better than I did. Um, but that's an important part of your role, especially as an older sibling, if you have that opportunity to be that. And uh, so anyway, I'm just grateful uh, for that special opportunity here today. So Psalm 37 here is uh, a passage of scripture that probably for many of us uh, has a special place in our hearts, particularly some of the earlier verses here. It does for me. Uh, but I want to share something from a little later in the, uh, in the psalm that I trust will be a help for us here this morning. He was a man literally, who had literally given up everything to follow God's plan for his life. He had been told from a young age, even from before he was born, that God had, a, had an amazing plan for his life, and he believed it. He was willing to pay any price to be a world changer for God. He was an intensely spiritual man. He lived in primitive conditions, ate primitive food, wore primitive clothes, all so he could focus on knowing and serving his God without distraction. He was extreme in his dedication and service to God, and God had been using him in big ways. But now he was in a prison cell, cold, alone, staring the possibility of death in the face. John the Baptist knew that it wasn't ultimately his calling to be the man in the light, limelight, and he was fine with that. He, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. But he hadn't expected this. It, it was confusing. So confusing that there in that prison cell, his faith began to waver. So he sends messengers to Jesus to ask the question, do I have this right? Are you who I believed you to be? Because if so, this just doesn't make sense. And Jesus' only response to this servant of God, shackled in the blackened hole of a prison cell, staring death in the face, was essentially this. Tell John that though I have not chosen to deliver him right now, I am delivering others. And people who don't get tripped up by my ways will be greatly blessed. Can I ask you this morning, what do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? When you've sought to love him with all of your heart, to follow him with every step, to obey him in every command, and yet the place where he's brought you isn't where you thought he was taking you. What do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? 
When, you've, when the process that he puts you through to reach the goal that he's called you to seems like it hurts too much, like it costs too much and leaves you wondering if you'll ever actually reach the goal you thought you were moving toward. What do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? When the path that he is charting for you is filled with disappointment, injustice, hardship, U-turns, loneliness, and disruptions. I think we can respond when, when the way of God for you is not what you expected it to be. We can have several different responses. I think there are many who reject God's way. You can reject God's way for you, refusing his way entirely, going your own way. It's a heart and rebellion against God saying, I don't care what you want for my life, God. I want what I want, and I'm going to do that. And probably there's not, not many, if any, in this room who maybe that's where you're at. But it certainly is a response of many when things, something that doesn't go, I expected it to, and so we turn our back. I spoke to a lady at a gas station not too long ago, just endeavoring to, to give a gospel tract. She was across the pump from me, and, and I gave it to her and spoke a word about Christ, and she said, oh, I don't want that. God took my son's life. I prayed, and God didn't answer. Rejecting God's way. But you can also resist God's way for you. That's a second response we could have. And this is, is where you, you want God's will but you don't necessarily want the pathway that he's going to get you there. You, you struggle and fight and resist trying to get, convince God there must be another way. Let's try this or let's do this. And, and you're not flat out saying, God, I don't want what you want. But you're saying, oh, I just, this, is, this is tough. I don't want to be here. This is not what I expected. This is not what I want. I just don't like this. I don't want this. That's certainly where we often live. When life gets challenging. A third response we can have is that you can yield to God's way for you. We talk about this quite a bit, don't we? We call this surrender. Surrender, yielding to God's way, giving up the fight and saying, all right, God, you win. It's submitting to his lordship in your life. And that is certainly important. In fact, it's essential. You can't live the Christian life if you aren't yielded to God's way. And for a long time, I felt like, okay, this is where I need to be. This is the Christian life. I need to live a life that's just surrendered. And as long as I've surrendered to God, I'm where God wants me to be. I've yielded to him. I said, yes, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I'm going to try to have a good attitude about it. Yes, but, but, but boy, it's not what I want. But all right, God, you're in charge, so okay. But that's not the end. That's not where God wants us to stop. You see, there is another step Beyond surrender. Here in Psalm 37, the psalmist is really examining the question of what do we do when it seems like the wicked are prospering and I'm not. And we certainly find much comfort in some of those early verses where we see trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Boy, we love these verses, don't we? But I was reading through this psalm a couple of years ago, and I personally was at that place where I was 
again, surrendered, but I was feeling, I was also in that place where there was part of me that's saying, God, I just don't like this. This is hard. I don't, I don't, the, the, the path that he was charting for me wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't how I expected it to be. Frankly, I didn't know what my life was going to look like after I got out of college, but it wasn't like it's looked the last 10 years. I didn't expect to be serving here on staff for that amount of time, sitting at a computer designing things. That's not what I expected. And there was times when it was challenging. And, and, and I knew that was where God had us, but there was in my spirit as well, this, is, this, is, this doesn't make sense, this is confusing. And God brought this passage of scriptures. I was reading through Psalm 37 and finding comfort in those early verses, but I came down to verse number 23. These are familiar verses as well, but the Lord opened my eyes to a simple statement here that literally I began to meditate on and it changed my perspective entirely. Verse 23 of Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Do you notice that phrase there? It says that he delighteth in his way. Now, there's different perspectives. Is this God delighting in the way of man, or is this man delighting in the way of God? And the, the way that the, the, the language is there, it's ambiguous in the text. And as I've meditated on this and, and studied it and as God used it in my heart, I believe this is saying that we need to delight in God's way. And he delight, delighteth in his way. God's ordering our steps and we need to make that choice to not just yield to God's way, but to delight in his way. It's not just saying, all right, Lord, fine, you win. It's saying, wow, Lord, this is good. Wow. It's choosing to love what God has laid out for you, no matter how different it may be from what you thought it was going to be. I think of Psalm 40 in verse number 8, where the psalmist says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Well, sometimes I think that we, we yield to the will of God, but we don't delight in it. And that's a perspective God wants to change in our hearts. I was struck as I, I was not here when Ms. Stringer was here, the, the missionary to uh, Papua New Guinea who was here a couple of months ago. Um, but, but I listened to her, her testimony and I was, I was blown away by the joy, by the delight she had in God's call in her life and what God allowed her to do. She loved the spiders the rats, the sweltering heat that would have caused any of us in this room to complain. She said, this is awesome. Wow. I get to be a missionary and tell people about Jesus, and this is part of it. This is great. And I said, that seems unusual. It was someone who was delighting in God's way for her. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. With the Apostle Paul there, this is the passage, of course, about the thorn in the flesh. And, and Jesus comes and he says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what was Paul's response? He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory 
in my infirmities. God, if this is part of your way from me, I wanted you to take it away. I wanted you to change this. But now you're saying that it's better for me to have it. So hallelujah. I'm going to glory in it. But he doesn't stop there. He says, glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Sounds to me like Paul is delighting in God's way. That frankly, you and I look at that list and say, that sounds miserable. He says, no, I find pleasure in this. This is amazing. You see, when the way that God is leading you through seems confusing, perhaps like it's even going completely the wrong direction, you can only delight in that way if you have one thing. Trust. Confidence in who your God is. You can only delight in God's way for you when you trust in who he is. And I hesitated in crafting that statement to use the word trust. Because we're so familiar with it. It's, it's, it's so common to us that perhaps it's lost its potency in our mind. We think, oh, I trust God. Yeah, yeah, I trust God. I believe, I believe who he is. But we actually don't often. Everything about how we live our lives screams, you don't actually trust me. You say, what do you mean? That's what I want to look at here this morning. Do we actually trust in who our God is? Because, friend, if God wants you to move beyond just surrender to the will of God in your life to delighting in his way. And if you're going to delight in his way, I see in this text three truths about our God that you must embrace, that you must trust in. Truth number one about who our God is, God has your best interest in mind. Can I put it this way? God loves you. Do you see what it says here? It says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, by Jehovah. Could you just stop and think about that for a minute? Why does God even care about your steps? Why would the God of heaven who made everything and is in control of the universe bother to concern himself about puny little you and me and, and the specific steps of our life? Why? There's only one answer. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. I think Dr. Jim puts it this way, that God is crazy about you. We know it well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Friends, the scriptures are overflowing with the love of God for you. Think about this. I, I was just meditating about this this morning, and the Lord put just this specific aspect of the love of God on the heart of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7, where it says that we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Redemption. Boy, boy that's a theological word, isn't it? What's the picture? Imagine with me that you're driving down the road with your son, and you come upon a wicked slave master who is mercilessly, mercilessly beating a slave, and he is not going to stop until that slave is dead. 
And in compassion, in compassion, you buy this slothful slave. The price? Your only son, who has never known separation from his father. And as you and the slave drive away, you hear the screams of agony behind you as that wicked slave master continues the beating now on your son. That's the picture. What father in his right mind would do that? That makes no human sense to me as a dad. I would never do that. It makes sense to God. Because he's crazy about you. Can I put it this way? And I don't know if this, I haven't meditated long and hard about this, this statement from a theological standpoint, but it seems to me that if God is willing to give up his own son to rescue you, then he loves you as much or perhaps even more than he loves his own son. That's why John said in 1 John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Wow! Friend, God loves you that much. And his, he didn't just love you at the cross. He loves you still today with that kind of intensity. He has a personal interest in you because you belong to him. You are his child. And so he's going to do what's best for you. He has your well-being in mind. He is a good father who cares about you. What we read there in Luke chapter 11, if ye being evil, not a good gift, good, give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father? Well, he knows, he knows how to give good gifts. They don't always come in the package that we expect them to be in, though. And the reason you and I often struggle with delighting in God's way for us is because we're afraid that God is leading us down a path that we'll regret later. We don't really think that he's motivated to do what is truly best for us. Sure doesn't seem like it. And when we don't believe that God truly loves us, that he has your best interest in mind, we question that. We're afraid that if we follow his leading, he's going to make us miserable. Maybe he might, we might have to be poor and forgotten. We might be rejected or persecuted. You might have to marry somebody ugly. Sometimes these are the thoughts. If I obey God, what's, what's he going to have me do? We don't think that God has our best interest in mind. Listen, friend, I believe it with all of my heart. God only does what is good for me. He has never done me wrong. Do you believe that? Everything that God allows in your life is an expression of his love for you. Everything. We believe that about the good things, don't we? But what about the negative things? 
when you get laid off at your job. When you get that phone call about the difficult situation going on back home. When that answer to prayer is delayed. When you receive the diagnosis, cancer. And it brings your plans for the future to a grinding halt. When you don't receive the miraculous provision, you have to sit out for a semester to work. When the spiritual breakthrough you're longing for seems elusive and distant. When the dean calls you into the office and you get slapped with demerits for an area of failure in your life. When the relationship you thought might be God's will doesn't pan out. When the door you thought was opening wide in front of you slams shuts. When that roommate, friend, or perhaps, perhaps even an authority figure misjudges your motives and you get flack for it. Do you believe that these two that God has allowed in your life are expressions of his love for you? For sometimes people do things to us that hurt, don't they? They make decisions that don't make sense. Perhaps they even do things that are just downright clearly sinful and they directly affect you. And you can easily come away from those situations thinking that was out of line. That was carnal. There's no way that that was God's will. It shouldn't have happened. And in that moment, you're confronted with a crisis of decision. How big is your God? And how much does he love you? Though it may not have been God's will for that person to do what they did, friend, it was God's will for it to happen to you. Though it may not have been God's will for that person to say what they said, it was God's will for you to hear it. Because he loves you. Really? Can that actually be true? How big is your God? How much does he love you? Do you really believe that God is in control? That he's taking all the circumstances of your life and he's seeking to weave them together for good to do something that you can't even imagine what he's trying to do? Is your God that big? Can he take the failures of somebody else and do something good? Can that actually be God's love to you? I'm telling you, friend, it is. The only reason that God allows those negative things to happen in your life is because he loves you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. You know what we usually do when things don't go the way we want them to go? We blame God. We doubt his love for us. We assume he doesn't care or perhaps he's judging us. Maybe we blame the other people as if God's totally out of control. You know what all of that really comes down to? Unbelief. A lack of trust in the God who loves you. Oh, friends, if you, if you want to learn to delight in God's ways, you've got to be convinced that your God loves you. Always. No matter what circumstance you're going through. He's in control. He has your best interest in mind. 
But I see as well here the second truth about who God is. God's plan for you is wiser than your plan. God knows what he is doing. He knows what he is doing. Yes, he loves you and he cares about you, but he also knows what he's doing. It says here that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He's ordering your steps. He's laying out a plan for you that will get you from where you are to where he wants you to be. But God's plan and his ways, his thoughts are not as our thoughts, he says, right? Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I don't like that. Because I want to figure it out. I want to understand what's going on. I want to be able to put the pieces together. If I can't put the pieces together, that means I, my only option is trust. And we resign ourselves to that matter of, when in fact it's the best place to be. Trust. Somebody once picked up George Mueller's Bible and happened to be thumbing it over and came to this Psalm 37 and noticed what he had written in the margin next to this verse. This is what it had to say, the steps, and then in the margin he said, and the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. See, Mr. Mueller had been meditating on it, George Mueller there, and thought, the thought came to that it's not only the steps, but also the stops that are ordered to the Lord, that those holds in your life, those things that seem like, oh, we're not going anywhere, now we're, things are, maybe even sometimes feels like things are moving backwards. And it says this, sometimes you do not do any stepping, sometimes the Lord puts you on your back and says, now glorify me there. And that's where the conflict comes. God has a way, a plan for us, and, and we have a plan for us. And very often those two plans don't mesh. Because we don't, we don't think like God thinks. Proverbs 16, 9 tells us a man's heart deviseth his way. We come up with how this is where we're going to go. But the Lord directed the steps. The reason we so often struggle with delighting in God's way for us is because we somehow think that our way is better. When God's way, and we're, if we're seeking to follow the, 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 the Lord's leading, and, and this is the step, and the next step, and saying, this is a step in the wrong direction, God, didn't you know that? We're trying to go here. That means we should be going this way, not that way. And God says, no, no, this is the way we're going. We think our way is better, though. So you know what we usually do? When, when we're confronted with, that, with God's way and we think that we have a better plan, a better way, we complain. We get critical. We question. Oh, we might plod through and, okay, all right, fine, I'm going to do it, but God, this is terrible. We're murmuring the whole way. We become experts in all the issues with those around us or with the steps that we're having to take, and we overlook the glaring unbelief and self-sufficiency in our own life. Think back for a moment, would you, to your freshman year, the very first Sunday of your freshman year. That Sunday night, you gave a testimony, right? Talking about how God led you to BCM. Way back in the day, we did that up in the woods with the mosquitoes. 
It was great. That's where I gave mine. Think back to that day. For some, for some of you, that was just a few months ago. For some of you, it was a longer few months ago. Um, Boy, you stood up there and talked about how God had clearly led you to BCM and you're excited to be here. And this is, boy, I know God directed me to be here. But think about those testimonies. I always enjoy that night. But it amazes me sometimes. And when we know that God has clearly led us to something or some, somewhere, we know God, God led us to a place like BCM. And then we complain our way through where God's put us. We gripe about the challenges, the difficulties, the, the pressures that we have to face. And listen, I understand this isn't a perfect place. I'm here, so that's one contributing factor. And you're here, okay? There's some more contributing factors. <laughs> okay, we're not perfect people. It's not a perfect place. But didn't God know that when he led you here? So why are we griping and complaining about God's way for you? You know why? You think your way's better. You don't believe that God's plan is wiser than your plan. It's unbelief in who God really is. Can you trust the God who is laying out your life pathway step by step? Wherever God leads you, the next step after BCM, you're going to go there and guess what you're going to find? It's not a perfect place either. And there's imperfect people there too. And there'll be things that you could complain about. But if you're delighting in God's way, there's no reason to complain because you realize God put me here. I'm right where God wants me to be. Every time that we complain, we reveal that we actually don't believe that God knows what he's doing. It really is that, that serious and that straightforward. That's what we see at Kadesh Barnea. Why did they become carcasses in the wilderness? They say, God, your plan isn't right. You don't know what you're doing. Let's do it our way. So if you're going to learn to delight in the ways of God, you have to come to a place where you are convinced and you allow the Lord to convince you, listen, I know God knows what he is doing. He's not making a mistake in this step. He's not making a mistake here. He knows what he's doing. It's not something, well, this, this, that's too much. That was outside. No, it's not outside his control. He knows exactly what he's doing and why he allowed that in your life. Do you believe it? Number three, quickly. Verse number 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. You need to believe that God truly loves you, that he has your best interest in mind. You need to believe that God, God's will is better than your will, that he knows what he is doing. But you also need to believe that God will not abandon you in a moment of failure. God will never give up on you. That's encouraging to me. Boy, this verse is so encouraging. Because guess what? We all blow it. We all blow it in some way or another. You fail that test, you lash out at that classmate with irritation and frustration. 
You have that bad attitude when those extra assignments are, are dropped on you that you didn't expect to be there. When you, when you take that prolonged look at that inappropriate image, when you get expelled and get sent home, when you disobey the prompting of the Holy Spirit to open your mouth and share Jesus, you try to serve God in the power of your flesh and, and humiliate yourself in front of other people, we all blow it. But what this verse is saying is that God is committed to you even when you aren't committed to him. Even when you blow it, He's not going to abandon you. It's easy in those moments when we failed to think that God's given up on, to, on us and left us to the consequences of our own brash decisions. But friends, that is not who your God is. Though he fall, though he stumble, though you get tripped up, you will not be utterly cast down. Notice these words, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Yes, this means that God is there to pick you up when you stumble, to, to hold you up as you, as you begin to fall. But it's not just that. Do you realize if God is there to pick you on, up when you stumble, that means he is right there with you the whole time. He's by your side. He doesn't leave you. This is not, just say help and I'll come running. No, no, no. That is not who our God is. He doesn't have to come running because he never left. He doesn't abandon you when you fail. I think of, as I've taught now several of my children how to ride a bike, and we're going down our street, and, and there's different methods out there of how you teach kids how to ride bikes, I suppose. But the one that I've taken has a lot of running involved. Not for the one on the bike, but for me. As I'm there holding onto that back edge of the seat, and we're, and we're going along, and, we're, and, and what am I doing the whole time? That, that, that little topple starting to fall, holding it up, holding up, and I am running, breaking a sweat. My muscles are tense. Why? Because I'm staying right there. I'm not, I'm not going to abandon them. It's not shove off. Whoosh. All right, when you fall, I'll come help you. Listen, God never abandons us in those moments of failure. You know what we usually do when we've blown it and we assume that God surely must abandon us? You know what we do? We give up, too. We assume, well, there's no hope, so what's the point? I've been here at BCM long enough to watch this happen again and again. Young person who clearly has, has the call of God in their life, that God's used them, and then something happens, they blow it. I mean, maybe they blow it big time. Maybe they get shipped home. Maybe it's not that extreme, but, but something happens, and you know what? They give up. They say, all right, well, guess it's not for me. Guess God's not going to use me. I mean, if I, if I blew it like this, it's, it's too much. I, it's, it's over. And they're sidelined, doing nothing for God. It's a tragedy. 
Because that's not who our God is. He doesn't abandon us. Think about the children of Israel for a moment. Boy, didn't they blow it again and again and again? I mean, like that's what they were professionals at. Messing up. And yes, God brought chastening in their life and judgment into their life as a nation, but it was to draw their hearts back to him. He didn't give up on them. And to this day, God has not given up on Israel. Though they have rejected their Messiah, and though they have given up on him in many ways, but friends, God still has a plan for Israel. And he literally will shake the world to bring them to himself. He hasn't given up on them, no matter how much they've blown it. Friends, that's who your God is. A long-suffering God who never gives up on you. Do you believe it? If you're going to delight in his ways, you've got to trust in who he is. You've got to trust in who he is. God's calling you to a step beyond just surrender. He wants you to learn to delight in his path for you, no matter what it is, no matter how difficult or confusing it seems. But it starts with trust in who your God is. So can I ask you, do you really believe that God has your best interest in mind? Are you confident that God knows what he is doing, that his plan is wiser than your plan? And are you convinced that God will never give up on you no matter how badly you blow it? Oh, listen, friends, learning to delight in his ways, that's that's where God wants us to live. But you've got to trust in who he is, or you never will. 